Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode 34. In this episode, I would like to continue where Josh Smith ended off in episode 33. The subject of my message is legalism is lethal. This is a challenging message, but one of the key teachings of scripture for believers in the first century. I trust it will be a help to someone today. Welcome to today's podcast. Today I would like to deal with a very challenging subject in scripture, but one that has a tremendous influence on the way we live day to day. I want to begin with a series of questions to help introduce the subject. Question one, to whom did Jesus direct his most severe warnings? Was it prostitutes or Pharisees? Who was the focus of our Lord's most heated words and rebukes? Prostitutes or Pharisees? Whom did Jesus perceive to be the furthest from the kingdom of God? Prostitutes or Pharisees? You see, Jesus' strongest rebukes were directed to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Prostitutes knew that they were sinners. Everybody in society reminded them of that. The religious leaders, however, thought that they either had no sin or they thought their sin was less severe. They didn't need a savior, certainly not a Lord. The Pharisees were legalists. And so I want to begin right at this point of a definition of what legalism is. I read this somewhere and I found it very, very helpful. Legalism is the tendency to regard as divine law things that God has neither required nor forbidden, and the corresponding tendency to look at suspicion on those that don't abide by the rules I have set in place. I find that to be an excellent definition. In other words, I create rules and regulations not found in the Bible, and then I feel good about myself for living by them. I then look with suspicion on anyone else that fails to meet my expectation. Legalists will often say that these rules and regulations that they propagate are in the Bible to maintain some form of authority and control over others. In fact, I will suggest you can use the Bible to say whatever you want it to say. That's why it's so important as a Bible teacher that we understand when we teach God's Word. We understand context, and that we're teaching the Word of God in the way in which it should be taught. One example, before we get into the details of legalism, and my title, Legalism is Lethal, I just want to make one important note about this subject of legalists using the Bible. There is a tool that is often used by a legalist. Uh, It's called proof texting. They won't ever speak about it, but basically proof texting is an improper use of context. In other words, taking the Bible out of its rightful place and the meaning by which those words, after 2,000 years, we can make it mean something else. I'll give you some very basic examples from uh, the last few thousand years. There are those who have used proof texting to say that salvation is more than Christ alone. 
and they take verses out of context and they say that we need to be saved and then maybe some work or baptism or something that is attached to it. Now, I will say that a balanced gospel message will show that a person is saved by grace, but that their works will reveal that they have life and that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. So there is a balance to our teaching in Scripture, but to say that salvation is more than Christ is a form of proof texting, taking a Bible verse out of context. Sometimes people will say, our church is the only true church that follows the Bible correctly. I don't see much humility in that. I just see a lot of pride. And certainly I can tell you on the authority of the Word of God that if any verses are used to suggest such a thing, it is another form of proof texting. Unhealthy obsession with eschatology is a very common proof text. Eschatology is the study of the end of things, what will happen at the end, God, uh, the Lord Jesus' return, and so on. And uh, any teaching that falls outside of orthodoxy that has an obsession on eschatology is very likely being uh, propagated through the avenue, again, of proof texting. Take some famous cults. The Branch Davidians, led by David Koresh. You might remember the story of the FBI uh, 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 um, circling the compound in Waco, Texas. That was an example of a man that had an unhealthy obsession and proof-texted the Word of God. Heaven's Gate was another example. Many people lost their lives over this idea that Jesus was coming in a comet. Examples like this you can find throughout all of history. I, uh, I'm going, currently going through a Netflix a documentary on World War II. I love history. And uh, I just listened to an episode a few days ago. Hitler in Nazi Germany claimed a 1,000-year Reich. He was claiming a millennial kingdom on earth. And really, there's a cultural history behind it all in Europe about a post-millennial view of the future. And Hitler seized on that opportunity. And in many ways, proof-texted scripture to convince the German people that their great day of reckoning with God and with the world had come. So what really is proof-texting or proof-text? Here's a definition. It is a singular scriptural passage produced as proof for an entire theological doctrine, belief, or principle. There may be those listening in that have a part of your life that is completely formed, not by Christ, but completely formed, either a doctrine, maybe a belief, the way you live, an important part of the way you live, or a principle that is singularly focused on one verse in Scripture. Now, God doesn't usually work that way, one verse. Does that verse is that verse being interpreted properly in context? And in the scripture, let me give you a very simple example. I could give you a lot of examples. I think most Christians and most churches take the word of God out of context. Sometimes it's less hurtful than others, though I would suggest we should always try to be as accurate as possible. One verse that is commonly known in our Christian uh, community, uh, Philippians 4 and 13. Might be in your church. It might be in your home. It might be something you send in an email or on the bottom of your signature. It says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a very common verse 
that is used as a proof text. I'll, I'll illustrate it through a little story. There was a, uh, a Christian uh, professor. He went to the gym to, uh, to work out, and while he was there, he saw two young men. One of them, he says, was probably 105 pounds. The other one was about 135 pounds. And he watched them go to the weights, and they set the weights up. Uh, they were going to do bench uh, pressing, and I think they put on over 200 and something pounds. And he thought, this is crazy. The, the, the weight is double of either of these two young men. But he watched from a distance. And he, he noticed the one that was 105 pounds, the really light guy. He, he got himself ready. And the other guy, he got the weight in position. And of course, that weight came straight down on his chest. And that young man was not able to lift the weight. It was just too heavy. And then the man telling the story says, I heard, maybe it was in a Christian school or, or wherever it was, he heard the, 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 the other man, 135-pound guy, he was trying to encourage his friend. And you know what he said to him? He said, remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Let me tell you something. That is taking the Bible out of context. It just takes a few verses before this verse to know that Paul is actually teaching that whether I have an abundance in life, I, you know, I, I, I did well in my last project and I received really good wages. And so whether I have much in life or I'm going through a time of COVID-19 and my life has changed drastically and our family is, is learning to cope with a little less resources than we did back in January and February, Paul is actually using that example to say, whether I have much or I have little, I can live both of those life experiences through Christ who strengthens me. Solomon said, if I have too much, I, I might forget God. If I don't have enough, I'll curse God. Paul is actually, I think, taking that illusion here and showing us we can live out both examples in our life. Whether we have much or little, we can do it through Christ. So don't take, the lesson here is don't take scripture out of context. All right, back to legalism. Why would anyone want to be a legalist? I think this is a very legitimate question to ask. Several reasons I'm going to suggest to you before we begin to read the scriptures. Number one, the first reason why a person wants to be a legalist is because it provides for them security. You see, you know what to do in every situation, even if it's not in the Bible. You don't need faith anymore. You just have to follow the rules and you know that everything is going to be okay. The second reason why people want to be a legalist, don't want to hear it, but it's true, it's pride. Legalism always feeds our pride. Look what I'm willing to do for the Lord. He loves me more because I'm willing to sacrifice so much. And of course, as the days and weeks and years transpire, the deeper you get into legalism, the more proud you become for all the things that you follow. The third reason why people are legalists, control. We like being the religious authority over other people. I wish it wasn't true, but it's part of human nature. It empowers us. We want others to bow down to our will instead of us bowing down to the will of the Lord. The fourth reason I'll suggest that someone would wants to be a legalist is comfort in conformity. If others live like me, 
then it reinforces that I must be on God's side. Especially if I think they have seen successes in their life. They have seen souls saved. They have been able to disciple others. If I just look like them and talk like them and act like them, I am going to be rewarded. And others will certainly see that my desire for God is great. And, and, and uh, that's another trap of legalism. This was a real problem in the first century in Colossae, and it's just as real today. I want to take a few moments and I want to read the section here. I don't know how often Colossians is actually read or when these scriptures are actually brought to view, but I can certainly tell you this. The message today is in no way a proof text. What I read to you today are from the words of Paul, but uh, I can go back to all four Gospels and find chapter after chapter in which the Lord Jesus speaks on this very subject. This is one of the main teachings that should be taught in the church today because it is the common trap that the enemy uses to make Christians ineffective in their walk. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to read in the middle of the chapter, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And that's the end of the chapter. We'll read just a few verses at the end. But these verses help us summarize the great danger of legalism. Why I've entitled this, Legalism is Lethal. From the outside, it almost looks like people that do this are so spiritual. They must be wise. Paul says, this is a lie. Your flesh will mock you if you think you can control yourself through these man-made strategies. You are just opening yourself up to total defeat. And I've seen this in my life. I've seen those who look to be of such great piety abuse their family, abuse children, abuse people on the mission field. They had such a form of godliness, and yet they were far from God. Legalism will spit you out in the end. And that's why I'm very passionate about this message, because we all have a problem with legalism to some degree. And we need help. And that is why there is so much material written in the scriptures to help us. Legalism cause people great distress. And Paul tells the believers the following. And I want to suggest this to all of you because likely legalists are not going to be listening to this message. Or if they are, they're going to be listening to it to pick me apart. They're not going to be listening to it with a desire to change. But some here may be under the bondage of legalism and you feel it and you know it. How do you deal with it? Well, Paul has three suggestions here. Number one, he says, 
Don't let legalists judge you. Number two, don't let them convince you that you are inferior. And number three, don't let them enslave your life. All three of these become very debilitating on a Christian's experience. You see, anytime divine grace is proclaimed, legalism will raise its ugly head in protest. Grace compels us to give all the glory and honor to God. I, I've, I've said it often uh, in my own local church. We preach the gospel and we tell people that they must, uh, um, they must come to the truth, that they're sinners, and they must come in simple faith to the door of salvation. And people try. When I was a boy, I, I thought I could get to heaven in some weird way. I thought I could maybe earn my way there. And uh, that, that is a common problem that, that the, the soul condition has of trying to earn their favor with God. But the moment comes and people, by faith, they come to the door of salvation and they enter in. And the very next thing they tell God is this. I am going to show you, God, how good of a Christian I can be. I'm going to suggest to you that if we preach the gospel this way, many people come to learn that Jesus is their Savior but they don't come to realize that Jesus is their Lord. The faith it, it took to come to Christ is the faith by which I'm to live every Christian day of my life. And the reason why, the, the, the consequence of not teaching the gospel to its fullest and living this life of faith is that that area of our life from salvation to death can easily be filled with legalism. Legalism says, this is what I can do. That's what hindered us to salvation. It will also hinder us in our Christian life. So Jesus must be both Savior and Lord. And that is why, to me, the gospel message and teaching must go hand in hand. The gospel doesn't take someone 50% of the way there, and now teaching is going to take them the other 50%. Our gospel preaching must be uh, inclusive of what the gospel is really all about. And our teaching must always include the gospel and what it's always about. So both of those things must work hand in hand together. Now, I'm just going to address, because of sake of time, I'm just going to address a number of the items that Paul discusses in the verses that we read. Number one, abstain from food and drink. I want to say to you that these things that Paul's going to write about, some of them were from Judaizers, and some of them were from Gnostics. We don't know everything that the Gnostics taught in the first century, but we do know some things. And both of these problems, both of these groups out there were trying to use legalism to control God's people. So the first one, abstain from food and drink. Some think this must be the Mosaic Law, but I'm going to suggest to you that it's, it could be partially, but certainly it's not totally. You see, the Jews had food constraints, but they did not have constraints with drink. Uh, in fact, I have a lot of Orthodox Jewish uh, friends. I've been to their house. Uh, um, I, I have some of them as clients. Uh, Orthodox Jews who know the law very, very well, they still drink alcohol. In fact, in the Old Testament, the only group that could not drink uh, was the Nazarites, those who took the Nazarite vow, and it was likely for that period, or in the case of Samuel and Samson, it would have been probably a life commitment. But other than that, this here is showing us that whether from a Judaizer perspective or a Gnostic perspective, this idea of teaching people to abstain from food or from drink is actually not from God. You see, there's an illusion that abstinence is more godly than partaking. Now, the scriptures are very clear. We should abstain from drunkenness. We should abstain from sexual sin, from murder. And you know, those things... I think are dealt really well in local church environments. 
to some degree. What about gossip? What about slander? What about injustice? In my kitchen, I have uh, the verse uh, Micah 6 and 8, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly before our God. It's interesting that uh, even in the areas of which we should abstain, we only seem to want to abstain from certain things because other things don't work well. Gossip and slander and injustice actually don't work well in a legalistic world. And I think that's why they are oftentimes abandoned and not really given their just, uh, their just presentation. So abstaining in itself doesn't translate to piety or to godliness. These are rules of men, and Paul makes it clear, that is the sensuous mind here. The sensuous mind, you know, we would think it must be devising cruel and wicked ways of greed and deceit and death. And that, yeah, sure. But you know, it actually, the focus here, the context, is on the legalizers. Those who like putting a yoke on the people of God. And that's a very dangerous thing because they're God's people. They're not your people. And that's why this is such a deadly sin. Paul speaks about festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. This would be all tied into probably things like the Jewish calendar. And I just want to say that these things were shadows. They are not evil. The things that Paul talks about here, they were good and godly. They prepared the people for the coming of the Messiah. Do we want the shadow, though, or do we want the substance? And that's something that Paul often speaks about. If I was introducing you to my family, I could pull out my iPhone and show you a picture of them all, but it would be kind of odd if I did that if they were actually in my presence when I introduced them to you. It would be odd that I use the picture. The picture's a great shadow. When I'm at work and someone asks me about my family and my family's not present, wonderful to show them the picture. Look, they've grown. This is how old they are now. And I, I get positive feedback. It would be odd, maybe a bit foolish, if I was to present my family with a picture when they were actually present. And that's what Paul is teaching us here. These shadows have been made way for the substance, which is Jesus Christ himself. So Paul is not saying you're wrong to enjoy some of these things. And I want to balance my message today. What Paul is teaching is that we can't use these things to impose rules and regulations on others. That's what legalism is. So going back to food and drink. Can I enjoy the practice of abstaining from wine? Absolutely. In fact, I think I could speak freely on this subject. I don't drink. So I, I'm not here pushing or condemning either side of the equation here. But can I enjoy the practice of abstaining from wine? Absolutely. Sometimes people laugh at me. Uh, I could be at work. I could be at a different setting. And I tell them I just don't drink. Uh, but that's, that's my belief. And am I, am I okay to do that for my, my reasons? And the answer is yes. I come from a family background where uh, uh, substance abuse was a very uh, big problem. So as a result of that, I've made my decisions that I'm just not interested in doing it. But here's the thing. I cannot impose this belief that I have for myself on others if the word of God doesn't allow me to do it. And this is where legalists always fall on their sword. You see, going back to proof texting, if I'm going to include a whole doctrine, belief, or principle based on one verse in which the teaching cannot be supported anywhere else in Scripture, then I have, I have not properly handled the Word of God. Context in this situation 
is key. So yes, alcohol can lead to drunkenness. That is a really, really, really big warning that we should always be willing to teach. But you know what? In the Western world, I'm going to tell you something. I believe, if I look back in my memory now, I believe that North America consumes, the 10% of our world consumes 90% of its food. Why do I not hear teaching enough about gluttony, about eating at 10 p.m. at night after having maybe six meals during the day? It seems as though Christians have been so focused on one area of balancing their life to an extremity that they're willing to eat themselves to death. You know that most, and this is not a judging thing, I just want you to all consider it here. Those with high risk with COVID-19, was it alcohol that led to a lot of pre-existing conditions or some pre-existing conditions? Some we can't control, but some of the conditions that we can control actually have a direct result in what we eat and how much we eat. And that is why we need to use the Bible to balance our life. I want to be balanced, but I don't want to be a legalist, and I certainly don't want to be under the thumb of legalism. Here's another example. You can turn Sunday into a Sabbath, like day of rest. I mean, there's no reason why you should in the New Covenant, but some people have decided, and Christians, it's like they traded Saturday for Sunday, and that's okay. Uh, They decide that they want to worship God on Sunday, and they choose to abstain. They abstain on that day, maybe from watching sporting events, maybe even swimming in a pool. I'm going to tell you something. It's okay. That's no problem. You can give up those things if that's how you feel before the Lord. If that's something you want to give to the Lord, as uh, we learn in the New Testament, if you wanted to fast or you wanted to do something, not to be public about it, but that's just something you want to do to give back to the Lord, no problem. What you can't do, however, is force others to follow your convictions. Why? Because the Bible clearly teaches that that is a sin. Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. This is a very big problem with Christians, local churches, and church circles, and we need good teaching to combat its reign. Let's move on now to the tools of a legalist, seen in Paul's day and certainly true for us today starting at verse 18. Number one, self-abasement. This idea that if I suffer, that if I show lowliness and simplicity of life, that I must be gaining favor with God. We see this in communities that pride themselves today on using no technology or for living the simple life. Paul, uh, uh, the Lord also talks in Matthew 6 about those who fast and make their suffrage known to the public. Look how much I'm doing for God. This is a tool and technique of legalism. Number two, worship of angels. Very difficult for us to determine today, likely connected to Gnosticism of that first century. Uh, May have the idea that our blessing could be had by going directly to the angels as intermediaries, or maybe that I couldn't even approach God and I needed this intermediary as an angel to to get my message known. Whatever the case might be, I will say this on this subject for us today. There seems to be two extremes on the subject of angels for Christians now. Number one, an unhealthy infatuation with angels, or the opposite, skeptical of everything to do with angels. Let me just leave us with one verse. I'm not proof texting it in any way. It works in context, but one verse in scripture that might help us balance this topic. Hebrews 13 and 2. 
Don't forget to show hospi hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. What's the writer doing? The writer is actually bringing a biblical allusion to our mind. It is the story of Abraham. What did Abraham do with Sarah? They entertained two angels and actually the Lord himself. So we should have a balanced approach. God does use angels today, and uh, we are not to know exactly how that world works, but we should appreciate that God's creation and God's world is much greater and much grander than we can see with our eyes. Number three, visions. As an apostle in Paul's day, Paul received uh, uh, visions from God. The other apostles, think of Peter, he received visions, they received visions. The prophets of old certainly received visions. These were messages that were given to God's servants to give and utter to the people. The legalists saw this as an opportunity, and so they wanted to use it to entrap God's people. So we had the elitist mindset, this final earthly authority. See, legalists tried to use anything to gain a foothold on people. And that's something we must guard against, these tools that are used by the legalist. Number four, the sensuous mind. I would almost think that the sensuous mind must be this horrendous character, uh, someone who does these explicit sins in our world. But actually, it's, it's a lot deeper than that. In the context of this section, it's actually very, very clear. It is the mind of a person who thinks they can earn God's favor by these man-made ideas, being led by their own flesh, seeking spiritual strength from something other than Christ. If someone taught that as a gospel message, we would say it was a wrong gospel. Why do we allow that gospel to be preached in our Christian living? We, this has to come to an end. We have to put an end to this type of thing. Some kind of self-discipline might be a good thing in our culture. In fact, probably a very good thing. Some of us may have allowed certain things in our life to get out of hand. Legalism, however, are the man-made rules of what we think are spiritual or unspiritual to gain favor with God. We think we need to whip our bodies into shape. Think of uh, Catholics of old that crawled on their hands and knees bleeding so that they could be more godly and be looked upon as more godly in their society. Well, we may not do it to the same extremity to let blood shed, but we seem to go pretty far even today, and we must guard ourselves against it. In verse 20 and 21, we have this topic of asceticism. Paul gives us a bit of a, it's almost like a mathematical equation here. You know, with asceticism, we seem to think that if we do enough physical negatives, enough things we abstain from, it will automatically result in spiritual positive. It's this idea that more avoidance becomes the pathway to holiness. But from all my life experience, both personal reflection and the reflections of those who live this kind of life to its fullest, let me tell you, it's a big trap. It always fails and it leads to very sad family and church situations. Verse 22, we see legalism's greatest shortcomings. If you want to smell legalism a mile away, this is how you're going to do it. Number one, legalists are focused on temporal things. 
Legalists are focused on man-made rules. I'm going to suggest, especially when God has remained silent on these particular things. And number three, the legalist has a mindset that says someone must love Jesus more because of what they won't do or where they won't go. You may never enter into a certain building, but from your street corner, you can commit just the same grievous sins by looking at someone in an incorrect manner who's walking towards you on the other side of the street. So we need to be very, very careful. Legalism is a trap. It makes us feel like we're okay, but actually we are headed to personal destruction in our life as believers. So why do people do this? Why are people legalists? Why are people trapped in legalism? Here it is again. It's because they think all the temptations of the flesh will be brought in check if they only do these things. Let me tell you, let me make it very clear. It won't work. It will never work. And that's why we need the, the Word of God to bring us on track and to help us focus how we are to combat this great enemy in our life. Before we get there, let me just make this cautionary note. Don't trade one legalism for another. It is so easy to leave one system and trade it for something else. I was told that I could never do this, so now I'm always going to do that, and I'm going to tell everyone how freeing it is that now I can do all of that. You now are propagating a new school of legalism. It's as though what I had before was no good, so I'm going to make something new that's good. That is not the way to combat it. You see, it's a very difficult sin to give up. It's like uh, alcoholism, pass on generation after generation. If you're from this realm or from this world, and in some ways we all have this snare because of our, uh, our sinful selves inside. And I'm going to tell you the only way to break free from it is to remove every stench, every connection, every tool that you have learned in your life about legalists and legalism. So how do we do it? Because it grips people and it grips the church. It is one of the most divisive false teachings that are in the church today. Well, let's go back to scripture. In the original, uh, the chapters and verses did not exist. Sometimes it might be good to actually read the word of God in that way. The answer to this problem with legalism is answered by Paul very clearly in the beginning of chapter 3. He's addressed it a bit in chapter 2, but I like the way chapter 3 begins. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, in other words, my identity is linked with him, his death, his burial, his resurrection, seek the things that are above. In other words, seek Jesus Christ. See, because it says it's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above not on things that are on the earth. In other words, don't focus on, ma on material, temporal things. Focus on what's most important. Most important to God. Things that the Lord Jesus did. Our focus should be on that. You see, legalists are everywhere in our world. No church has exclusivity on this, and no Christian is untouched. This is what legalism tells you. Your life is not your own. 
but it doesn't finish with scripture. We know in scripture, the, 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 the scriptures tell us we have been bought with a price, as we just read here. But legalism works a little bit slightly different. It takes a little bit of good and mixes it with a little bit of man. Your life is not your own. You are subject to another person's expectations. And Paul says, don't listen to it. It's hard, but you need to move past it. It might sound like death to make such a move. What will others think? What will others do? But Paul says it will bring life to your existence as a Christian. It is liberating to live under the authority of Jesus Christ alone. Do you remember the moment when you came to him in salvation? You can live your Christian life like that with its trials and all its persecution. You can live your life in the freedom of knowing Christ as your Savior and that you are accountable to Him and Him alone. Legalism is a trap. It provides no liberation. It provides a new form of bondage for the Christian life. Sometimes those who have imposed these rules in our lives are on our own church, maybe people who are actually in the grave and have been there for a very long time. It could be because of your last name, or perhaps a position you have held in your family or church. These are tools that are used for legalism to keep its grip on you. Many people trapped in legalism don't even know who they are. Their identity is found in the way the legalizers in their life want them to be and want them to think. Does this sound at all like you in your life? If so, you need to break free. Your identity must, must be found in Jesus Christ alone. The one we read in the four Gospels. The one who was kind to people different than himself. And gracious to sinners. And even tough on the religious leaders that were taking a hold of the people. That was showing love as well. You need your identity in him. Not the legalism that you have allowed or were taught to perpetuate. This could be a church tradition. Local churches need to break free from man-made regulations as well. If God's word expresses something explicitly and it, is, and it is foundational to the teachings of the scriptures, not a proof text, then do it. Where God is silent, he doesn't need us to fill in those blanks for him. Everything he does is perfect and the plan he has left us is sure. It was good in the first century, and it's good today. Have you ever looked at a medieval knight with all its armor? They look so restrictive, don't they? In the world we live in today, they would be sitting ducks in our modern warfare. That's legalism in a life trying to combat the enemy. It will simply result in devastation. So restrictive. The armor of God, however, is so different. It is so freeing. It looks a lot different, able to move with a changing world, to reach out to the lost, to be the hands and feet of Christ in our community, and to properly disciple others. In a post-COVID-19 world, legalism will not be ready to meet the new challenges and the new opportunities. Only lives that are free and flexible to allow the word of God to direct them will see the greatest potential for the kingdom. It is this freedom that the Holy Spirit uses to equip believers, protect them from sin, and send them into the front lines for God's glory.
Thanks again for listening. May God bless you.